Welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, where we delve into issues of tech leadership in the public sector. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. Here now is our host, Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, now a division of Fusion Learning Partners. Hi there, everyone. This is Alan Shark, and welcome to another episode of Shark Bites, where we deal with different aspects of technology leadership in the public sector. You know, AI has been getting so much attention these days, and you know, I've been covering it uh, on numerous writings and broadcasts. And already we see a growth of what local governments are doing. We have the city of San Jose, who has an extensive paper on guidelines. We have the city of Boston with its guidelines, Seattle, New York City. Uh, we have the state of Maine giving, offering a six-month ban on AI until they figure out more on how they're going to approach it. Uh, Kentucky has a statewide effort, and the uh, state of Connecticut is uh, creating an uh, AI Bill of Rights. But today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Stephanie Dietrich, who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at the city of Tempe, Arizona. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Glad to be here. What brought uh, me to you and got my attention was um, there was a little bit of a press buzz when your ethical artificial intelligence policy came out. Now notice, and we were just talking about this earlier, the difference between what is policy, what is guidelines. We're going to get that into uh, in, in the next minute or two. But let me make sure I've got this right. You are the chief data and analytics officer. Uh, before that, you were the enterprise GIS and analytics manager at the city of Tempe. You had 14, over 14 years um, with the Arizona State University. Uh, where you're the uh, MAS GIS program director uh, for 12 years during that time. You've been a faculty associate. Um, you've done an awful lot in this area. So I want to welcome you to, to uh, this little discussion. But I always start, Stephanie, how did you get your beginnings? I mean, did you wake up one morning and say, I'm going to get into tech or I love geography, I love maps, because clearly you have a analytical mind being the data field. You are very passionate with GIS, as with apparently all things you do. What gave you your start early on? It's funny because I stumbled both into GIS and into public service. Um, neither of the moves were intentional, but they were the best decisions I've made in my life. Um, I stumbled into GIS when I was going back to school for my master's degree. Um, I was looking at going into statistics. And I was working somewhere and they said, hey, when you go back to school, you know, there's this thing called GIS. We don't know a lot about it. We think it'll be really helpful if you take a GIS class and you do some, you know, some classes and learn more about it, we'll pay for you to go back. And I'm like, hmm, all right, <laughs> hard to hard to pass up someone offering to pay full tuition um, just to expand your coursework. Uh, I took a couple geography classes because I thought, you know, I should probably know something about geography beforehand. And I was the first GIS and cartography classes I took. Um, it was like a pause of where has this been my whole life? It all made sense to me. It was super exciting. All the things I love about data and analytics are, were part of it. It was such a focused applied topic that I, 
I quickly shifted over and it was, it was one of those things I didn't even have to think hard about it. Um, my research when I was working on my PhD actually focused on GIS and public policy and how you can use GIS to support policy decision makers when they're dealing with uncertain data. And so I was definitely interested in applied uses of GIS in, in, in the public realm. Um, the old CIO for, for the city, two CIOs back, um, got my name somehow, and I'm still not sure, and asked if I'd come evaluate how the city was using GIS and put together kind of a strategic vision for what the city could do and what an enterprise GIS group could do. And so I spent a year and a half talking to anybody that I could get a meeting with and wrote what was my dream vision that I had, you know, been thinking about working on my dissertation. And I was looking for a tenure track job at the time. I gave it to him. And the last time I saw him, he goes, so are you going to put in an application? And I, I ha it had not dawned on me to, to do that. But the job description I wrote was like everything that I would want to do. It was all my research in an applied setting. And so, again, that was just one of those no-brainers of I got my application in. And when they offered me the job, I quickly set th those ideas of staying in academia full-time aside and, and transitioned to the city. Any regrets? I mean, there's quite a difference. I mean, both are in the public sector, of course. I mean, one is a university, one is a city, but you have different masters to worry about, the different public. It's very different. Um, I'm happy that, so I'm still director of the MAS GIS program at ASU. So I get to keep part of myself on that education side. And I think it's beneficial because it, forces me to stay on top of what's happening in industry because we need our students to understand that. It's a one-year professional master's degree. We need them leaving, understanding what's currently happening. And so I can't, you know, I can't kind of settle in and get comfortable. Um, so I, I have that education side, but I, even, even when I'm stressed out and question my decisions, um, I love, I love working for the city. I'm very lucky. Um, and I know that, that leadership since the day I started, since I was a consultant, has been very supportive of the work that we're doing. Um, I had a very ambitious vision of GIS and data having it, having its hooks in everything. And I didn't necessarily have the authority tied to my vision uh, when I first started. And I still had support from our city manager, assistant city managers, the CIO to kind of help develop, you know, that data culture, help push things forward. Um, just keep talking to people until we could get them to just give us a chance to help them to see what was possible. Uh, I don't think that I could, I don't think that I would have that level of freedom to keep us moving forward and try to keep us ahead of what's happening if I worked someplace else. I, I think the city is very unique in the amount of um, autonomy I have in what I'm doing. 
Yeah, no, it, it seems that way. And I have to identify with you as one who, in my case, I'm not working for government. I'm working for governments through my Public Technology Institute nonprofit, but I also teach, as you know, George Mason. So having that ability to work with students and, and then it, it gives us a laboratory uh, of, of future leaders in our fields. And I have tremendous respect for GIS. So let's switch gears here. So you had a visual interest in putting data and things together, um, solving problems, being able to make sense of trends and patterns. And now we have artificial intelligence. I believe that especially with generative AI, this has the greatest impact since the beginning of the internet. Um, it is that profound and it can do such wonderful things and it could also in some ways destroy the world. Uh, we're gonna look at some of the more positive things. So of course, what brought you and I together was an interest in the fact that there was a buzz that the city of Tempe, Arizona came up with an ethical artificial intelligence AI policy. I'd like to know, where did the germination of that come from? Did people come to you and say, Stephanie, we need something, or you suddenly realized you saw something and you needed to do something? How how was this hatched? And what was the process that you used to get to where you are? It's a brilliant document. It's only about three, just over three pages, but it says so much. And we were talking earlier, you specifically call this a policy, which it is, versus others that issue guidelines. So I'd like you to address both. How did this effort start? And then let's talk about the differences between, as you see it, and I think I agree with you, a policy versus others who have come up with guidelines. So it actually has been something that's been on my, it's actually been on my whiteboard for over two years of things wow. that we really need to do to, my whole goal was to be in front of what was coming. Um, my interest really started with that potential for bias and for, you know, people to unknowingly be generating data that is either incorrect, questionable, that is starting with protected information and trusting it because AI is, you know, very flashy. People, I think, assume either you can't trust it at all or you can totally trust it. And so it had been on my list. Um, one of the reasons also that I realized that, you know, we really needed to be thinking about it was um, we're a What Works Cities uh, organization put together by Michael Bloomberg. And one of their core um, data-driven uh, data government uh, kind of areas focuses on data and bias. And how do you, what do you have in place to help um, identify or stop uh, bias potential in automated decision-making and in the data that you're using for that type of work. So I'd already been thinking about it. Um, our city manager knew it, my boss knew it, talked about it all the time. Um, and I'd actually intended to be working on it this year. Um, then chat GPT happened and I stopped and went, wow, this, this would be great if you would have done this already. <laughs> um, and I, so I set some things aside and I, I gave our uh, then assistant city manager, now city manager, a heads up and brought her and a couple other people together and said, it's time that we do this. I think we should do it. I think we need to get it done. 
quickly, I kind of explained what my vision was and said, you know, I wrote our open data policy and I wrote our evaluations policy. And so I, I kind of have an approach and I, I let them know that I wanted to be, I wanted to write something that really forced us to think about what the impacts would be of leveraging AI while also making sure that we were not in the way of innovation by piling so much policy and regulation on top of it that it would take six months to a year for anyone to be able to move forward with anything or where we would just say no, like, no, we can't do that. Um, other than that conversation, um, like I said at the start, the city just said, okay, we're in, you know in support of it and let me go work on it. Um, I started with that idea that AI was here to stay, it was gonna grow and we should be using it, that it is a tool that will be accessible to everybody at some level. I don't think that there's, kind of like with data, I don't think there's any person that won't be capable of using AI. I know a lot of people are like, I don't understand technology, but I think that everyone has some capacity for that. Um, and also that, you know, we wanted to support innovation while protecting people and making sure that as we think we're improving, you know, services for our community that we're doing so in a way that we're not negatively impacting certain groups or any groups. Um, once I got the go ahead, I spent probably three months uh, going back through the research I did, doing more research and writing. Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure to include with it beyond what our core principles were, was also setting, a, setting governance in place um, that would have people from across the organization at all levels to help have perspective, but also to have this managed and monitored by people who weren't just IT, because these are not just IT problems. And so I put it together, I think in three months um, between the research and the writing, and I wanted to get it through council quickly. Um, and so we brought it together. I um, you know, vetted it with our directors, I went through with our council aides, went to council, and I was super excited and had to stop myself from running around with council members high-fiving everybody when the resolution passed with no concerns from anybody uh, that, that we were going in this direction. So let me ask you uh, the question, the second part of that is, you were very careful to say this is a policy. You've looked at others that are guidelines. How do you see that as being different? I think that at least for Tempe, a policy puts in place that our city council supports what we're doing. And so it does a couple things. One, it says, you know, Tempe has defined city values. And in thinking about those values, this is this policy is translating those values into core principles that relate to AI. Having that policy just gives it a little more, a stronger foundation where we're not gonna, I, people are less likely to say, well, you're suggesting that we do this, but 
there's nothing that really says that we have to. The other piece about a policy, and I've done this with both our open data and evaluation policy, is it created some sort of governance structure as part of it. So when the policy was adopted, council also then gave approval to move forward with developing a, a AI governance structure and coming up with the processes and procedures, the guidelines that we'll use to actually be able to put something like this in place. I think for us, having city council buy-in gives us that extra leadership support that I think helps people take it a little more seriously from the start instead of feeling like it's something that might be temporary or that is coming out of a single department and isn't a citywide initiative. And so for yeah. all of the data things I've been a part of, I have gone the idea of policy program creation at once and then implementation. I think it's brilliant. I mean, really. Um, when do you think the guidelines, the next step will be in place? Is, or is this going to be an ongoing kind of thing? Um, the whole, yeah. So there's a lot to develop around governance. We actually had our first um, meeting internal to IT yesterday to talk about how we can work some of these elements into existing IT processes so that it is just naturally part of the work that we do, where again, IT is not being the final decider, but the IT, you know, a request for technology, let's say. AI questions will be in, included in that, which will then trigger the, hey, you need to look at X, Y, Z. No, I can see that. You know, what caught my attention, I mean, this is really well written, um, under your policy statement, and there are a number of subparts to what I'm reading that came <laughs> out, I believe, the end of May. The one thing that really interested me, and I don't know where this came from, maybe you can help me, human AI collaboration. We will encourage collaboration between humans and AI systems, leveraging the strengths of both to enhance decision-making processes and ensure that ultimate control remains with humans. This is the first statement I have read in the public sector that addresses a technology tool, but using the word collaboration. I believe me, I, I totally understand it and I agree with it, but I've not seen that before. That's a pretty creative statement that has enormous implications. We as humans, or in this case, employees of the city of Tempe and elsewhere, we have to basically learn or be encouraged to collaborate with AI, that's a little unusual. It is, it is, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that what pushed me to have something like that in there is we talk, you know, when you hear people talking about automation or predictive analytics, deep learning, all of that, it is a handing off of something to the tool for it to do something for us. Right. And, you know, we talk about concerns about what's happening with the technology and you talk about, you know, there should be some checks at some point, but it always feels like we look at, you know, you hear conversations about look at it beforehand, look at it in the end, but that the technology is almost this, its own being that is based on its rules and how it's written 
is going to do the work as an independent entity. And you hear people talk about AI a lot like that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to, you know, reflect some of, you know, human processes. And we're talking to it. People are talking talking to to it. it. And and it's responding. Yeah. And so thinking more along the lines of instead of here's this thing, we're going to give it something, it's going to spit it out. And then that's good. I really want people to think about how we work with it to do our work in a way where we still benefit from the innovation component, the efficiencies that it can create while keeping ourselves part of the process. And this is one of the parts that I put in there that when, you know, talking about just how we are going to implement these things, I think this is one of the really tricky ones because it's like, how do we do that and not remove all the benefit of bringing AI into the, into the process anyway? And I don't have a perfect answer for that. I mean, at the most superficial level, part of it should be that you let AI, let's say, make a first pass at going through a, a bunch of applications. Then you use that to go through and make a second pass and do the, the final determination. Um, that is the most simplistic way to think about it. I think that as we start to see the tools grow, that that opportunity to genuinely engage with them is going to be there. And I I think we just need to have that at the forefront of our minds in I all of this work we're doing. Agreed. And I hope you're right when you use the word them as opposed to it. <laughs> what scares me is we're dealing with one one entity or one system of AI then we're really getting into some very futuristic, scary stuff. Yes. But that leads me to something you and I have discussed uh, before this uh, podcast was recorded. And that is, I note that a lot of folks in the private sector I've talked to and a lot of senior public managers have voiced concern and if not policies, cautioning, if not preventing. I mean, look at the state of Maine, putting a moratorium on the use of in the state of Maine, at least in government. And the fear is that a lot of us are using this technology that can do great things, predictive analytics and crime fighting and all these other things, looking for trends and anomalies and health data. But to the extent that we port over information into these systems, because we're not in control of the systems, we might be in control of the users, our employees and our students in the case of the university, but we're at the mercy of those who are putting together these massive systems. So I can understand the concern people have of saying, you have to realize that anything that you share with it or them, AI, could then be automatically put in the public domain without us realizing it. We could find ourselves in violation of all sorts of things like HIPAA. We could be giving away corporate secrets on the private sector side. We could be giving away all sorts of personally identifiable information unwittingly. We used to print social security numbers on, on labels uh, going out as mailings. We used to we were very innocent in some of the mistakes that were made. We left certain website portals open uh, for data fields um, for anybody to find. And luckily, most of that has gone away. But how do you, this, I guess, would come into play with the guidelines that you're contemplating. How do we instruct our people who we want to say there are real benefits 
to better decision making, which you point out in the policy, and I fully agree with, versus the potential of being in violation of a lot of laws in which we must operate and give away things that we shouldn't. Yeah, and we're actually looking at San Jose and Boston's use guidelines to see what they have done and identify what components we could leverage to help provide some of those, some of that guidance to employees to hopefully get them to think through, would I share this data otherwise? Which is the question I want them to ask. If you would not hand it to somebody walking by that you don't know, you should not be sticking it in AI without some sort of conversation. And I think just starting with that, based on the tools that people have access to now that everybody has access to, I think that that can help a lot with the privacy concerns that we have. I think that talking about foundational data literacy will help with getting people to realize just because a computer spits it out, any any computer, not just AI, anything that you, you spit out, it it's not necessarily right. And you have to be a critical thinker about that and really look at does it make sense? Does it reflect the data? You know, does it seem logical? What are all the things that you should go through? And so I want to get those things in front of employees as soon as possible to cause them to pause because we know people are using chat GPT. It's out there. Why yeah. wouldn't they? Sure. Um, and so that right now is our first step, but what we're thinking of doing is basically having some use case guidelines where everybody in the city is going to get some basic kind of like data literacy, having an AI literacy course that everybody, and I mean from our mayor and city council, you know, down the, down the chain has to take to teach them kind of some of these core things, teach them about the fact that you know, the data that you're using to drive AI is going to determine how well, you know, how good the data is that you're, you're getting out. And so those core foundational components, I want to get out, I say quickly, but you know, we have to develop the training and things like that. But those are at the top of my list. To start though, we're going to be sending out something citywide and I'm going to be talking to the directors and just say, if you are doing XYZ, or you're using these tools, let me know. Just email me to let me know so we can have a conversation. Make sure that they know they're not doing anything wrong. They're not violating any rules. But I just want to better understand what they're doing and kind of have that conversation. Um, And so that's going to be my first task is just finding out who, who people are and making sure that they're really thinking it through when they're using it. I think that's a really good first step. I mean, in my thinking, listening to you and listening to others that are, you know, wrestling with this issue, you know, it seems to me that right now, cybersecurity is a growing issue. It always has been. And, you know, we're required in most public institutions to take some kind of training. Um, At universities in particular, we're always taking training required course here and there for one hour, two hours. Um, I fully agree with you that we really need sooner than later. I mean, really soon some kind of basic training that does a couple of things. One, alerts them to the latest trends and pitfalls, but also usage guidelines and things to look out for. For example, 
for the person that wants to use predictive analytics for crime, but then realizes, oh my gosh, I can't just, which would be easy, putting in the database that I have or sharing it with these systems. No, I got to pull back and maybe I can encrypt it in such a way that there is no more personal identifiable information, but I can code it so that the, the results will give me what I need without sharing names and information. So there may be ways to strip out some of the data fields that you then input into a, a GPS system, generative uh, uh, AI, so that you're not in violation. But I don't think people are thinking about that. How do we strip out that critical personal information that could violate one's privacy or one's personal information and or violate some other uh, codes like uh, HIPAA or CGIS or other forms of compliance? I suspect, and I don't know how you feel about this, but not only do we need mandatory training, but we, in terms of users, maybe we need to be certified users. Maybe there's a certificate, uh, or but certificates are one-time only. So I'm thinking more that maybe we need a certification program on AI users so that they have to be recertified every year or two. Not a big hurdle, but to show that they are up to date on all the latest things. Because we're still learning every single day something new about this. Your thoughts? Um, I like that idea of having some sort of requirement for continual, continuous learning. And I think that for us, you know, again, as we're trying to think of what those use cases are and, you know, where would we just need people to be like, I've gone through this training, I understand, I'm going to follow these, you know, rules when I do this and think it through versus people who are actively implementing something. Yeah. When it's an existing solution, you know, if everything goes according to IT process, we'll know about it before it gets in anybody's hands. And so having more advanced training, I think would make sense for that because we provide user accounts, we're overseeing installations. So IT knows what's happening. And who's places, using it. Yeah. And who's using it. The places where for me, I have some concerns are things where people don't think that it's AI. Like, yeah. I don't think people are thinking about predictive analytics as something that's AI driven or machine learning as AI. And some of that can happen. It just, it can happen. IT doesn't have to be involved. I think for people doing that more than any other types of users, I would want to start there on requiring some level of continuing education, because I think that those types of tools, while incredibly powerful, pose massive amounts of risk because, you know, you're training the model. No one, no one's coming in and necessarily doing that, doing that with you. And we're using data that, as with anybody, is inherently flawed. And if we don't step back and say, is our data actually representative of the thing that we're trying to understand? Do we have shortcomings? Might there be biases in our data that we need to be aware of to try to account for? Should we do it at all based on the data that we have? Or should we say we want to do it and then go back and try to start adjusting what we're collecting to make sure that we have the type of data we need to actually do this type of work. But I really like that idea of even if there's not an official certification, which I think at some point there's going to be something 
Um, there's a, you know, a, a, the GISP, which is a GIS professional certification. Mm -hmm. right. um, I think that we are going to end up having something like that for AI, for people who are really doing the work and not just using the tools. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to sadly take a while to get there because I haven't been able to find any. We do security training at ASU and at Tempe and just those types of programs where you subscribe to a service and it gives you an annual training and it gives you refreshers that I haven't been able to find anything like that for AI. So at this point, we're assuming we're going to have to build those initial classes in-house to start until something gets out there. So let me suggest wearing your ASU hat and with me wearing my GMU hat, maybe we should kind of come together with our universities and develop this. I think your experience on the ground, my experience, what I do, could actually lead to a really cool program um, that would benefit all local governments. I'm afraid we're out of time. And Stephanie, you've been great. Um, as I mentioned or warned, this could have easily been a one-hour podcast, but I, I don't want to do that. But I do want to come back and visit with you maybe six, eight months from now, because this is a moving target. And I'd love to catch up with you as a follow-up to this particular conversation and just see where things are and how these policies are coming to be, how we're dealing with some of the issues that we've just talked about. We're identifying new issues almost all the time. So I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. I know everyone's sitting there scratching their head and says, uh-oh, I better start writing some policies and or guidelines. So <laughs> get ready for a flood of inquiries. But I do want to thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I enjoy talking about all this work and our first steering committee meetings happening in a couple of weeks. So six to eight months, we actually hopefully will have um, some good progress on that governance structure. Cool. Thank you. What a great conversation. We definitely have to come back and visit with Stephanie about eight or nine months from now and just see how things are going. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, please be safe personally and digitally. You've been listening to another episode of sharkbites.net. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to sharkbites.net. And if you or someone you know has a story to tell, please let us know.